From Medical Media, this is The Author Show. Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of the Ortho Show podcast, where we bring you the best of the best in the orthopedic space. We are going West Coast, but we're going Northwest this time. We spent a bunch of time in LA. We have Dr. Patrick Denard, who's an orthopedic surgeon, who's a shoulder specialist in private practice at the Oregon Shoulder Institute. He's also a clinical instructor at the Oregon Health and Science and also runs the Shoulder Fellowship in the area. He's an Oregon native. And Patrick, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for having me, Scott. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So so tell us, you know, we usually like to start from the beginning, you know, it's, it's sort sure. of, it sounds like, were you born in Oregon as well? I mean, it seems like you spent most of your life there. I was. I was born in a town called Zigzag, Oregon, about population about 500. It's at the base of Mount Hood. So I lived there on a uh, a one acre property it was adjacent to about 500 acres of BLM land. So pretty wilderness related, uh, you know, close to the wilderness and um, lived with just my mom. Dad left when I was three or four years old. And then we moved to the Dalles, Oregon, not much bigger, but population 10,000. And that's where I was raised. So um, it's fun being raised in a small town, you know, lots of opportunities to get involved in a lot of things, sports to all sorts of outdoor activities. and and uh, Definitely has a big influence on me in general in my life. Yeah, I mean, up until probably three weeks ago, or whatever the timeline was, when you guys got to 116 degrees, it's probably one of the most temperate climates on the planet. Yeah. Well, Southern Oregon's a great place to live for that. Yeah, great weather in Southern Oregon. It's uh, We really like it um, where we are. But the fires are changing everything, of course. You know, It's real unfortunate to watch it happen. Yeah, there's definitely, even for those climate non-believers out there, it's hard to sort of not to ignore all the stuff that's happening right now, that's for sure. But, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. So then, uh, but you decided to go East Coast. You went to Dartmouth for, for medical school in Hanover. How was that all about? Yeah, so when I went to undergrad, I really was had a limited look at what I wanted, where I wanted to go. I only applied to a couple of schools. And, and so when I applied to medical school, I was really looking to get a different experience. Um, and get outside of the Northwest. I'd studied abroad in college, had a great time over in the UK at the University of Sussex for a semester um, in Brighton, England, and just really saw the value of seeing a different place. And so I just went to the best school I could get into. And um, Dartmouth happened to be that medical school, a great environment, love being in the Northeast, cold as can be, but I uh, had a great experience, great mentors. And uh, that's really where I got into you know, orthopedics and whatnot. Yeah, I've got a house in Queechy, Vermont. Oh, beautiful place. Yeah. It's, it's literally it. about 10 minutes and it's, uh, we just love it up there. It's just such a beautiful place. It's probably similar to, to sort of what you were experiencing maybe in Oregon, but uh, yep. it's just a great, great country up there. Wilderness, wild, quiet, it skiing is. and Lots of hiking. beautiful country. You got to embrace the outdoors hiking. in the winter. Yeah, you absolutely. Know. Great, great, great spot. So, so orthopedics, you know, uh, it, it sort of rung a bell for you. And, and what was it? What was it about orthopedics that, that seemed to draw you? You know, when I was in high school, I actually decided I was going to go into medicine really, really early. And I thought I was going to be a surgeon, a general surgeon. I had worked in the operating room there. And at that time, this is in the mid 90s, it was the regulations weren't nearly as strict. So they let me scrub into the operating rooms and orderly and hold the cameras with general surgeons. And I just loved that. And I actually thought the orthopedic surgeons were a bunch of dummies. I thought they were just, you know, hammer and nail. And, and uh, I thought I would, you know, 
never do anything like that. But um, what happened is I was I was on an OB rotation and I was working in the operating room, didn't have a lot going on. And I went and watched one of the hand surgeons who was an orthopedic hand surgeon do some cases. And I just really fell in love with the anatomy. And at the same time, the chairman of the department at Dartmouth was James Weinstein. And uh, he's a really well-known spine surgeon. And I had reached out about to the department in general about doing research to try to, you know, get more involved in surgery. And the general surgeon didn't respond and he did. And so he basically mentored me along for a couple of years and I got to work with him and really see how he thought and, and, um, see how orthopedics, she had a really uh, ability to impact patients functionally and just, it, you know, the anatomy correlation with surgery and love for that just all came together. So um, once it was there, I, you know, I kind of looked back and thought, why did I ever want to do anything else? Because I love what I do. Yeah. I mean, we, we hear the word mentor on the ortho show all the time. It's just one of those things that just these, these special people that come into your lives yep. really influence you. It, it's not just a coach. It's not just a teacher. It's someone that really brings you under their wing and really gives you support for all those important decisions as you move forward. So, so orthopedics is it. And uh, the calling of Oregon brought you back home again. Yeah. So um my wife and I, she and I met in an undergrad at in University of Sound in Tacoma. We had gone out east together. And so we made the decision at that point in time to go back to the Northwest just to be close to family. We knew we were going to start a family. So it all made sense. And so we um, went back to Oregon. Um, you know, at the time it was going from Dartmouth back. It wasn't necessarily the, the uh, uh, most esteemed program, but uh, had a wonderful experience there. And uh, Love being back in the Northwest, and of course, that's where we make our home now. So yeah, great. So you do you're you're there. You're doing your residency, and obviously, you become a shoulder specialist. And was that early on in your training, or how did you make that decision? Yeah, again, it's one of those things where you know you don't always know where life's going to take you. I thought I was going to be a spine surgeon, um, based on my, the mentorship I had had at Dartmouth with Dr. Weinstein. And really was was interested in that path initially, but as I went along, I really, you know, I didn't really enjoy spine much. I didn't really like working the, the with the with the patients, and and I didn't really enjoy the surgery of spine surgery either. And so, shoulder just made a lot of sense because it's a very broad field. You can do everything from open surgery to shoulder arthroscopy, and especially shoulder arthroscopy just became a big passion of mine. So. That's why I chose shoulder surgery. Yeah. And then, uh, so obviously, you know, which is great. I, I love how you do this. You're sort of all over the place. You went to England, um, you know, for, for during college to get a semester abroad. So you're, you're not sort of afraid to still move around a little bit. And uh, you decided to go do a fellowship with Steve Burkhart down in San Antonio, who was obviously one of our country's, you know, greatest shoulder surgeons ever. So what was that experience like? Working with Steve was really life changing. You know, when I had, plan to go and work with him. I had some interest in academics in general, but I didn't really have plans to do what I do now. I thought I would move to a smaller community. I wanted to be subspecialized and do just shoulder, but um, really that was my goal and raising my family was my goal. You know, be good at what you do and be a good dad was my, was my goal. Um, but what happened is when I went and worked with Steve, you know, it just, you, you get that mentorship quality where you're just getting, you know, we would, we would, we would start writing papers and, and I got positive feedback right away and we got started getting papers accepted. And then it just became a, a one thing after another and just really 
fed off of that relationship and I was able to do a lot of academic work. And not only that, but work with somebody who was really, a, you know, a, an expert or even I would call Steve a savant in what he does. And so the opportunity to see that really opened my eyes to, you know, the pursuit of excellence, I would say, and how good you can really be. Yeah, I mean, he's just a phenomenal orthroscopist. I mean, you know, tremendous educator as well as, you know, tremendous, you know, researcher, right? He sort of hits all the all the possibilities there to to try and, and, and push the envelope of shoulder arthroscopy. And so what a great experience to be able to, I know you wrote a couple of books with him too, which we can talk about. You wrote some, you know, some tremendous literature. Uh, you got probably introduced to a lot of amazing other shoulder surgeons in the planet. And then you got to learn how to do shoulder arthroscopy, which is pretty cool, right? Yeah. Yeah. Steve had some good sayings. I mean, one of, one of the, his favorite sayings of mine is that no, no man ever drowned in his own sweat. And I've always been a hard worker. And, you know, I, I saw that from him too. It's not just, yes, he's gifted, but it's not just about being gifted. I mean, he, he works very, very hard. And as I've gone along, I've seen that, you know, really that's what it is. It's the people who are most successful are the, usually the hardest workers. They do the, put in the most time and put in the most volume of work. Yeah. Well, you're, you're striving for expertise and apparently you, you didn't feel like you, you got enough from Steve and you wanted to even expand your horizons further. So you go across the pond and you do another fellowship with Gilles Walsh in uh, Lyon, France. I mean, that's yeah. pretty darn cool too. There's another iconic leader of shoulder surgery. Tell us about that. Yeah. So um, I knew with Steve that I wasn't going to get an arthroplasty or shoulder replacement experience. And so I, I had to do something more if I wanted to be a shoulder specialist and when I was with Steve, there's a surgeon who's in Geneva now, Alex Laterman. Alex had come over and he had been a previous fellow of Jill Walsh um, in Lyon, France. And Alex and I did a ton of research together and really hit it off. And we're still still good friends and still do a lot together. But he encouraged me to go work with Jill based on his experience. I was I had a plan to go to New Zealand. But once the opportunity came up with Jill, I took that. I went, went to Europe, took the whole family. My wife, uh, I had a three-year-old at that point, a nine-month uh, son, and uh, we had a great time with Leon. Jill is one of those people who is, he, he really hits it all. He's an excellent surgeon. He's an excellent researcher, and he's just a wonderful individual. So um, had a great time with him and learned a lot about shoulder arthroplasty. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I, I, you know, we always talk about Bill Levine on the show at Columbia, right, for a shoulder fellowship where you can learn arthroscopic mm -hmm. as well as, you know, reconstruction simultaneously in the same place. But you sort of created yeah. uh, your own fellowship track where you get both, which from leading from some of the greatest leaders in the, in the world on those topics. How long were you in France for? I was in France for two months. So it was a short period of time, but but definitely very influential. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that relationship that you have, I'm sure, with him has, has lasted forever as well. I mean, I find it fascinating. We have a lot of people on the show, you know, Patrick, and everything about you, you know, I got a sense. I know you're from Oregon, from a small town, uh, but you're starting to develop this sort of this desire to be as good as you can possibly be. And you're working with these great people. Uh, I would have expected you to go into academics, but it seems like you took a private practice track to, uh, immediately after. Is that correct? Yeah, I think, I mean, probably it's a couple of things. One was uh, I didn't ever do well with big institutions. You know, I wasn't somebody who, uh, I saw the inefficiencies of big institutions and 
how you didn't have a lot of control over what you did. And I didn't, I didn't necessarily want that, you know, and two, quite honestly, I didn't, when I was deciding where I wanted to go, I, I didn't have this vision of seeing myself in a, in a position long-term where I would be a, a important researcher, have major contributions to, to shoulder surgery. I just thought I, again, I would just, you know, strive for excellence in what I did. And, you know, what happened is it just, you start doing the work and then it just, it all adds up um, over time. I think I naively thought when I was younger that it was, it was this, you know, it was sort of a, it was either a gift or not. And I learned that it wasn't. And, you know, I was just fortunate enough to work really hard. And, um, you know, once you do that, it, it, uh, it, it pays off or, or I guess you become an expert over time. Yeah, you know, and the, you know the the beautiful the beautiful thing about private practice, you know, w- whether you go which way, you know, academics or private practice, but you get to operate on your own patients in private practice, and yes. if you enjoy surgery and the art of surgery, uh, then you know what better way to do that? And obviously, you can still educate. I think it's it's pretty amazing that you have been actively involved in society education. You've been on committees for the Arthroscopy Association right. of America. American Shoulder and Elbow Society. You're a leader for the San Diego Shoulder Course, so you still have taken a path to maintain, you know, your your professional education status, if you will, uh, within the shoulder community. Right, and we have a you know we have a shoulder fellowship now um, that is ASCS or American Shoulder and Elbow Surgeons Accredited, and so that's been a that's been a uh, a real positive for us. And um, you know, actually, we're growing at. Um, you know, Oregon Shoulder Institute, which is part of Southern Oregon Orthopedics, a group that I'm that I'm in, where we've been growing over time. We're actually bringing another partner and and uh, really trying to expand our research program and uh, our education program. But it's fun, you know, having that feeling of looking back and really created it, you know, and and that's a benefit, like you said, being in control. You get to you know choose your own path. Yeah. So give a shout out about the fellowship. I mean, who are your partners that are involved? I mean, we're, we definitely have some listeners out there that are residents that might be interested. So tell us. Yeah, about. absolutely. So I have a, a junior partner who's been in practice for about three years now, Cameron Phillips. He did a sports fellowship in Mississippi with Buddy Savoie and uh, Larry Field. So very well-trained guy. So he's prominent in the fellowship. And then uh, there's another doc who's in it actually works for a hospital system, but in our community, Matt Nugent, who trained at Sedman Hawkins, Carolina with uh, JT Tokish and of course, Rich Hawkins. So really well-rounded fellowship, year-long fellowship, all shoulder, really high volume. Um, we had our first full-year fellow last year and we have we just started our second fellow and we have a third fellow coming the year after that. So um, it's uh, it's been a, it's been a great experience so far, but I think it's a great fellowship because people get to see this side you're talking about. You get to see private practice but really academically minded. Yeah. No, so obviously, I mean, you're cranking out the research. I mean, you've got about 150 papers that have been published. I know you had a couple books that you did with, with Steve down in San Antonio, and you've got a bunch of other chapters as well. So I'm assuming that the fellows are going to be a part of that and you're able to continue to crank out the research. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's a, I think that's an essential part of education because even if somebody's not going to go on and do research, you learn a lot by doing it. So, um, it's a, I think it's a big, it's an important part of what we do. And then, you know, in addition to that, we have a large research group on the shoulder arthroplasty side where I work with some, some other surgeons uh, who are also consultants with Arthrex, which is one of the main, the main company I work with 
from a development standpoint. So we have some relationships there and I continue to collaborate with, with other friends across the country internationally. So lots of opportunity. Yeah. I mean, medical device development and, and new ideas and concepts and techniques. I think that uh, for the most part, most of us sort of, you know, go along with industry as far as that's concerned to be able to develop ideas. It's kind of hard to do that on your own for sure. Yeah. So, so what's on mind with your, what's on mind right now with your, with the shoulder that you'd want to share with uh, other, you know, shoulder specialists across the country, what's piquing your interest right now? What really is driving you to try and find solutions? Well, I mean, obviously in the last 10 years, we've seen a, a real increase in reverse shoulder arthroplasty. Um, and I think that's, you know, reverse has been really, um, uh, dramatic shift for us in how we treat patients, but we still have um, so several problems in reverse that we need to try to figure out, reducing scapulospine fracture, improving internal rotation. And there's a subset of these patients that if you really look closely, even though a lot of them do better, you know, anywhere from 20 to 30% don't get quite the excellent function we would like them to get, uh, even though they're satisfied from a pain standpoint. So I think trying to improve their function in, in addition to getting pain relief. That's a big, big thing on the um, uh, arthroplasty side. On the uh, arthroscopy side, there's a, there's a couple of interests I have. One is trying to continue to find a solution for massive rotator cuff tears and identifying the subset of patients that benefit particular procedures. I think superior capsule reconstruction has been uh, really changed the way we looked at things in terms of uh, what we can do in patients with irreparable tears, but I think it it still needs a lot of refinement. And you know, night it would be nice to be able to use emerging AI technology or artificial intelligence to really identify patients ahead of time who are going to benefit from specific procedures. Because you know, ultimately, I think we're as surgeons, you know, our our mind is kind of like a prediction machine, and we're trying to see where the patient's going to go, but we really only have limited ability to take these inputs and synthesize them. Obviously, it's influenced by experience, but um, to really do it in an objective way, I think we we need machine learning or artificial intelligence to be able to do that. So um, that's something that I'd like to really try to work on in the next 10 to 20 years. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting for our listeners, you know, superior capsule reconstruction is an operation that was done for patients that don't have a rotator cuff that can be repaired. It's just too far gone. And so you take a piece of skin from a donor and you reconstruct, uh, sort of make a new rotator cuff, if you will. And and it's okay. And the results are, right. can be good for the right individual, but right. not for everybody. It's certainly not a panacea. Correct. You know, there are some other operations like the lower border trapezial transfer that's been starting to, to gain some traction as well. But I really like the idea of the, the artificial intelligence. I, I'm a big believer that technology ha- is really going to push its way in to what we do in orthopedics, whether it's robotics, whether it's patient-specific instrumentation or algorithms from artificial intelligence that help us to better understand which patients will do well with what operation. I think that's that you're spot on with that. Uh, and I think that you know, for medical device reps out there that are listening, I, I think in particular that's an area that will maintain your your – uh, your place in the operating room for sure as as we sort of go into new ideas and, and techniques. So I think that's really well said. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you see this with patients all the time. They'll go to, you know, a doc and they'll get one opinion. They'll go to the next doc, get another opinion, maybe in the third doc, get another opinion. And I don't think, I think we're years and years from being replaced as surgeons, but I think that we can uh, have, be closer to, um, Becoming to more coming to more uniform opinions 
and then from a surgical aspect, level the playing field and bring everybody up to speed. I mean, you shouldn't have to spend 10,000 hours, right, to get good at something. If we can use technology so that the surgeon who's doing, you know, 20 to 30 a year can be as good as the person who's doing 500 a year when in a given uh, procedure, I think that would be a big benefit for patients as a whole. Yeah, completely agree. So we'll give a shout out to Danny Goyle, who's a friend of ours from Canada, yep. who developed the Precision OS system, which has really become an amazing tool for virtual reality for training of surgeons. And again, that's another area of technology, right, Patrick, that sort of allows us to, if you you, you said it perfectly, skip some steps instead of doing 10,000 reps, can we get it done sooner? I think that's uh I think that's definitely where we're going. I mean, it's really amazing how technology is pushing into to what we do, especially in this you know, post-pandemic. Yes, but you know, we're still surgeons, and I want to I want to send some so, you know show you some love here because one of the things that you had a, pr- a pretty nice accolade not the other not too long ago was that you were named as one of the top shoulder surgeons worldwide by the National Library of Medicine expertscape and it's kind of cool it's an objective way they took a look at your research and your publications and all that so that must have been a nice thing yeah you know yeah that one was i mean a lot of most of this stuff i kind of i kind of shake off and just put my head down and just keep working because it's not about the accolades it's about you know i really just enjoy the work itself um, but that one was pretty cool because they looked back at 10 years and basically went through and quantified the impact of articles um, on the on the specialty as a whole. So to see that body of work, of, I think it was from 2011 to 2021, and you know, be rated highly, uh, that was that was pretty neat to see that it's all made a difference. Yeah. So so give us a shout out to some of your other brothers on the list that yeah. people might want to know about. We want to get them on the Ortho Show too. Well, Alex Laterman for sure. I mean, he and I work closely together, and Alex was, you know, he and I were both in the top five for rotator cuff, and that's you know that's because we we work together a lot, so we do a lot of papers together. And uh, 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 Peter Chalmers was on there at a University of Utah with Pop, Bob Tajon. Um, they've done some great work. Um, so. Yeah, and there's uh, there's obviously a lot of great great orthopedic uh, shoulder surgeons out there as well. Well, you know, look, Patrick, we really appreciate you coming on. You're, you have a great, unique story here about trying to strive for excellence. I I love that message. I also love the fact that you are really uh, continuing to educate all those around you, taking the knowledge that you've learned and really pushing the envelope of, of shoulder and trying to make it better for all of us. Yeah, I really I really uh, appreciate you having me. You know, I think the the only other thing that I would say is it kind of feeds in this whole thing, but I really look at it like, you know, it's hard to take every day like it's your last, but really trying to remember that your time is limited and, you know, making that contribution as best you can and, 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 you know, making the best to be there and present for your family too. It's uh, all that's, all that's important because you never know what's going to happen. I mean, the last year has showed us that our lives can be disrupted any day. Yeah, fantastic message to you know do the best that you can with your time on the planet, both for at your professional level and family level as well. And uh, this is what we do on the Ortho Show. We bring unique, you know, uh, orthopedic surgeons and their stories and, and their perspective. And it's really been a, a pleasure having you on, Patrick. All right, thanks, Scott. Really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure, Dr. Scott Sigmund. Hashtag follow the fro. Host of the Ortho Show. Till next time.